Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim R. Today we have episode 14 and we're going to be discussing that with Jim R. Or I apologize, Jimmy R. And tell us a little bit about your life. Um, okay. Um, I'll start as a child. Um, as far as I can, back as far as I can remember, um, I grew up in institutions, um, one from one institution to another since the age of five. Um, my, my parents had me put away. Um, I went into this place called the Philbrook Center. I was there for a year. Um, the judge every year would give me a status review here and, when I went in front of him, he, he had to remove me out of there because I was getting beaten by the staff. I went to court with bruises all over me. What kind of um, institution was it? Yeah. Go ahead. What kind of institution was it? It was a. Um, it was just a child. Um, it's like where um, unwanted kids go. Okay. You know, this was back in 1980 uh, when the. Uh, <laughs> When the juvenile system and the mental health system was nowhere near as good as it, as it is today, um, where they believed in in, 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 in in physical punishment to teach you. Um, so I was in the Philbrook Center, stayed there for a year. At six, I went to the Toby building. After a year there, again, I was being beaten. I was getting locked inside this room for 24 to 48 hours. Um, judge put me into this place called the Italian Home for Little Wanderers in Jamaica Plains, Massachusetts. It was an orphanage full of kids uh, ranging from the age of five to about 18. Um, I got there when I was seven. I stayed there until I was 13. There I was beaten, sexually molested by my counselor, George. Um, and at 13, the judge finally decided to let me go home. I went home. I was there for a year, got locked up in juvie detention. Did a stint there for four years into my minority. At 18, I got out. I joined the United States Army. Um, was only there for a year and a half. Um, got out on a medical discharge. Six months after that medical discharge, I was on my way to Concord State Prison for the next 12 years. Um, got out when I was 32. Liked it so much. Went back for another four. So what got was the original I, charge yeah. when, when you went away for 12 years? What was the, the charge for that? It was... Um, Possession with intent, uh, first degree assault with a deadly weapon. Um, what happened there with the assault? This tampering. I sold to this kid, and this kid wound up telling on me. I made bail that night, went to his house with a baseball bat, and opened up his head. He was in a coma for about two months. Um, it was attempted murder, but because of my age and the amount of time that I've been locked up as a juvenile. I guess the judge took some sympathy on me, dropped it down to a first-degree assault, and gave me 12. Well, that's still a long time. Huh? That's still a long time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, when I got out, 
it was weird, man, because it was like I was froze. All these years, mentally, I was frozen in one spot, you know, intellectually. Um, you know, I mean, I'm intellectually, uh, but maturity-wise, um, I acted like a kid instead of a man, you know. I made kid decisions um, without thinking things through. Um, I never felt like I belonged. It was hard for me to shop, hard for me to make friends, um, and hard for people to just give me a chance, you know, and prove that I bettered myself, I've learned, and so that was that. Um, I, I, I met a female, got engaged, had a daughter. Um, while my fiance was pregnant, she got incarcerated. Um, they sentenced her to a one and a half to three, so she gave birth to our daughter in a prison. I had full custody of her for her first six months of life. I found her deceased in her crib of SIDS. Oh, I'm um, so sorry to hear that. At the time, I was selling heroin. When she died, I became a heroin addict. Well, real quick, I, was, I just wanted to backtrack a little bit and ask you, what were your times like? Like, how did being institutionalized make you feel? I know you said that it was a place for unwanted children. Do you think that had any kind of specific effect on you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I felt like I was never worth anything, you know? Um, you know, I mean, people would talk bad about me and I'd be like, yep, <laughs> you know, that's me. You know what I mean? Um, I accepted it for what it was, you know, and I never tried to, you know, um, I just felt like, man, that was my destiny, you know? Ever since a teenager, I thought, you know what? And I accepted the fact that I would probably die in prison. I would probably do life and die in prison. And I accepted that. Because in there, everything made sense. Out here, nothing makes sense to me. Everything in there is black and white. You know what's what. You know who's who. Out here, you don't know. Your best friend could be stabbing you in your back out here. You ain't got a clue in the world. But inside you do, because you can't hide from anything in there, because we're all closed in together, so we see the way we all all act, you know what I mean? Our mannerisms, the way we conduct ourselves, you know, so we know who's who and what's what inside. That makes life a whole lot easier to know that, you know, and when you go from that your entire life to not knowing your next, your next step, your next move, your, your next meal, you know, um, it, it's, it's tough. It's hard. I can imagine. So what was it like with drug and alcohol use? Did you, were, was that available while you were locked up? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I dabbled in it. Um, I was more into working out. Um, I was, uh, I, I loved it eat it, slept it, breathed it, you know. I took care of my body the entire time in prison. Um, and just to come out of prison and being so lost that the stuff that I dabbled in on the inside, when my daughter died, I became full-blown into because that's the only thing that could take away my pain. That's the only thing that made me feel complete you know, and every time in that I would put that needle in my arm and feel that heroin hit. Is that what you were like, doing in jail? Were you doing heroin in jail? No, I would do um, suboxins. 
I was always afraid of getting dope sick. I knew what it would do, you know. I would have, you know, and I'm a kind-hearted guy, you know, and then I would have these guys come into my house dope sick, and they'd have no money. And I couldn't see them like that, you know what I mean? And I would give them a little bit to make themselves well, to get them off empty, so that they can go out and do whatever they got to do to get the loot that they got to get to make sure that they got what they need, you know. And so I was always afraid of getting like that. And, man, when my daughter dies, I didn't care. I didn't care, man, because that was my escape, and that's the only way that I could escape. I was scared to sleep because my nightmares was always the same thing, me finding her, me identifying her little body on a gurney, me setting up the funeral arrangements. Well, the entire time, her mother wasn't even there. She was in prison. I went through all of this by myself alone. The cops conducted the investigation like it was a murder. And when they found out from the medical examiner that it wasn't and that it was SIDS, the detective came to the house that I stayed at because they locked up my house down for a weekend to conduct it as a murder. And on Monday, when the medical examiner said it was SIDS, the detective came to me and said to my face, we're disappointed with the results. We wanted this to go another way. Pretty crazy that they were coming after you like this was a murder. I mean... Yeah. That, that's a pretty bad assumption to make at first, you know, as, as far as the Absolutely. police, I could be wrong, but that's kind of sad. Yes, very, very sad. Very sad. You're already going through enough, you know what I mean? Yep. And then uh, my daughter died December, December 3rd, 2016. Um, after the funeral, my best friend... He was a really big coke dealer in Massachusetts. Um, he came to my house, picked me up, and said, listen, man, you're not staying here. You're coming with me. And for the next month, I went from motel to motel to motel. And getting hot every day, all night. And I don't know, man, one morning I woke up and I was like, man, I keep running with this guy, man. I'm going back to prison for life. So I went back home. Um... My fiance made parole in March. She was devastated. I mean, man, she only held our daughter once in, in our daughter's six months of life. Besides besides the morning that she gave birth to her. Uh, so she took it heavy. I went to work one morning and came home and she was dead. You're from an intentional drug overdose. <clears throat> um and then, yeah, man, I said, fuck it. What's the point? What's the point? What's the point of trying? What's the point of... And what's the point of staying clean? Everybody thinks I'm a piece of shit anyway. I just lost my daughter. I just lost her mother. I walked out of my apartment. I left everything in it. Walked away from my job without even calling. And for the next four years, I spent in a fucking fog, dude. Like a fog. Getting as high from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep. Because it hurts too fucking much to breathe. And you were high on heroin? Yep, heroin. And then I, and then I got introduced to meth. And that's when shit just got real crazy. 
So the meth, I mean, the meth is harder than heroin. Well, it's not that it's harder. Heroin is harder on your body. You know, meth is harder on your mind. Meth can make you literally go insane. I mean, insane. You will think things that to you make complete total sense. And other people will look at it and say, dude, you're out of your fucking mind. What is wrong with you? And what kind of crazy thoughts would go through your head? Oh, man, everybody wanted to get me. Um, people were trying to kill me. Um, um, for me to just kill myself, I would hear I would hear these voices telling me to kill myself. I'm a fucking piece of shit. That's why I lost my daughter. That's why I lost my fiance. Um, I don't deserve anything. I never have. And that's why my whole entire life's been like this. You know? Um, man, this is the shit, man, that I heard, man. This is, like, I legit heard. You know? And and I began to believe it. And then I became a recluse. The last two years that I've been high, I became a recluse. I went from, I went from the bedroom to the dealer. Back to the bedroom. I never left the house. How are you paying for your habit? Uh, my sister... And plus, I was on disability. I, I I wound up getting a disability check. So all of that would just go to drugs, and then I'd hustle. I'd rob. I'd steal. Man, once all that money was gone. You know? It's crazy, man. Because now that I'm sober, man, it's hard for me to find two nickels to rub together, man. But when I was whipping and running, I had never had an issue from figuring out ways of getting money for my next high. <laughs> You know, it's crazy. So, so and, uh, and real quick, was, the first time because I know you're, you're you're hooked on heroin, you're hooked on meth. At what age did you first ever use a drug? Like what? And, and how did that happen? I, first, I ever used a drug. It was marijuana. I smoked the joint when I was, um, I think it was fourteen. Um, right before I went into Juvie Lockup. And it really did nothing to me. You know, I was like, what the... You know, I didn't feel nothing the first time I smoked it. Second time I smoked it, I was rocked. And I instantly fell in love with it. Instantly. And, um... Then when I went to prison, I got introduced to a whole bunch of different things. You know? Because prison, man, there's more there's more drugs inside the prison walls than there is in the streets. I mean, it's crazy. It's nuts. You can get anything in there. Anything. If you're somebody or if you got loot, you can get whatever you want in prison. You know? And and I dabble, man. I would I would tutor wine. Um, I never injected. I never injected in prison. I only would toot a little bit. Um, I'd take a piece of a suboxone, you know? And then when I got out, um, I got involved with this woman who smoked crack, shot coke, and who was a raging heroin addict. I met her inside the halfway house, and uh, she introduced me to all that. And again, I was I was still man. It was a weekend thing, you know. I'd work all week, you know, doing foundations, man. So I was making good money. 
and uh, it all went to our drug addict. You know, I mean, we got a settlement out of court for a lawsuit. Man, we got thirty-two grand, man, and that thing was gone in two months with nothing to show, nothing to show for that thirty-two thousand other than a rage and habit. Because that's where all that money went. Went to drugs. Every single bit of it. Wow. That's... So what were you like when you were high? Like, how did you feel? You know... I was a different person. I was an animal. I was an animal. I didn't care who you were. If you got in my way of me getting my next high, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, man. I have I have driven down I have driven down the street where I'm from in Nashville, New Hampshire. Called East Hollis Street. Okay. Now it's in a residential neighborhood. Speed of limit's about thirty. I hopped on my dealer's hood of his car with a friend in the because he locked his doors. Wouldn't get out of the car. Smashing in his windshield while he's going sixty down there. Holding onto the hood with one hand and smashing his windshield with my other. Because I wanted drugs. It's a true story. No, I believe you. You know, um, I've robbed dealers right inside my house. I've had them, you know, and I used to have my dealer deliver. I ran out of money one time, put a knife right to his neck, made him ran his pockets right inside my house, man, with my, you know, man, with my girl upstairs sleeping. Anything ever uh, bad happened to you while you tried to rob people? Did you have any stories about that, or did you pretty much always kind of get your way? I pretty much always kind of got my way. Uh, one time, me and two of my buddies, though, we went down to Lawrence, and we tried to rob a dope house. A what? And a dope house, you said? I, what's that? What would you say, a dope house you tried to rob? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we, we tried to rob a dope house, and, uh, yeah, that didn't turn out too good, man. They started shooting at us. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't know, what, what what is a dope house? A dope house is a place where dope fiends, addicts, um, go. They pick up their drugs. Um, they can get high there. Um, and they have guys there with with guns and they and they sit inside the house and they sell the drugs and they watch the door and that's pretty much what it is you go there buy your shit get high and leave so you got a place to purchase it and do it and that was set up by the dealers yeah 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 i mean they usually have a couple Mm -hmm. you know a big dealer will usually have a couple of dope houses around the city just in case one gets busted you know, so that there's always, there's always shit being sold at some spot. You know what I mean? They set down one house, another house is already up and running. I wonder why that is the dealers do that. Because most um, dealers, you would think most dealers really don't care about your safety and give, I'm, I'm sure there's other. There's... It has nothing to do with your safety. It has to do with the fact that instead of, it has to do with the fact that instead of them calling you, okay, coming to pick you up, let's say, you know, let's say they pick up a gram of crack, right? They go home. They do that gram of crack. They got money in their pocket. They're buying more crack. That's a fact. Because that's what crack does. Once you smoke it, you fiend for it. 
You want it. You have to have it. So instead of you keep going back and risking being seen going back repeatedly over and over again throughout the day, they plant your ass there with a pocket full of money and once you're broke, you're out the goddamn door. So it ain't got nothing to do with your safety. It has to do with the safety of the people taking less notice to the traffic. It's not constant in and out. You know, you go in, you're in there for an hour or two getting high. Then you come out. You're not just walking in and walking out. Because then that tells everybody, well, this is a drug house, man. People selling drugs out of there. That makes sense. But, they, but if they see people going in there and hanging out, they don't think that. Less attention. So what was it like the first times that you used? <laughs> What, like the feeling? Yeah, like the feeling. And you know what I mean? Like, what did it actually feel like to you? Um, at first, I had tons of energy. I could go, I could go for days without sleep. Um, wouldn't have to eat. Wouldn't have to do none of that shit. And in my mind, I would think that I'm getting things done. But in actuality, I'm standing still just spinning my wheels. Because <laughs> I'm stuck like Chuck, you know? Um, it made me feel, like, so powerful, man. Like, like nothing could go wrong. Like, nothing could touch me. At the beginning. And then progressively, it felt... it. It went from a dream to a nightmare. Quick, fast, and in a hurry. Because everything I do, I'm either all in or I'm all out. I don't go halfway on anything. Never have. You know? And when I started using it, I went all in. And it became a nightmare. I mean, at first, at first, me and my family and stuff, they didn't care. They were like, damn, man, that motherfucker's had a life. He has had a life. If anybody deserves to get high, that motherfucker over there deserves to get fucked up every day, all day, as long as he possibly can. So, man, that's how my family was at first. You know? So I never thought I was doing anything wrong, you know? Did you? Hey, look at me. But then my family started noticing my, my decline in my health. Um, the, the insane amount of weight that I lost. I went from 204 pounds all the way to 135. Um, like, and then, man, and then they told me, man, you know, we're done. You know, and my sister, everything, man, she kicked me out of her house and everything. You know, because at the end, that's who I was living with. I was living with my sister and her family. You know, and... Yeah, because I couldn't, couldn't maintain on my own. I can survive in prison, but I can't survive out here. It's extremely hard. It still is today. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. But today I'm doing it with a clear mind. Today I'm doing it sober. You know, today I'm not in a nightmare. Life sucks, but at least I'm not in the nightmare. You know? Yeah. So when you were using, 
did you use like with friends or did you use it with anyone specifically or were you a loner? At first, I used it with friends. I was that guy, right, who would walk into the house. Everybody would be out of drugs. And I'd walk in with two eight balls of crack and be like, yo, who wants to smoke? You know, I was that guy. If I was getting high and you were with me, you were getting high too. Or else you weren't going to be with me. You had to be high to hang out with me. Because I wouldn't hang out with you unless... Unless you were. Or else I think, man, that you were right. I think, man, that you were trying to set me up. Or trying to judge me. Because, I mean, let's face it, man. When you hide me, you do some weird things. Okay? Yeah. You do some weird fucking things, man. Everybody's got a tweak. When they get high, everybody's got this certain thing that they do when they're high. What was your tweak? My tweak was... I, I would go through shit, like paperwork. I mean, like, I would reorganize my paperwork for, like, eight hours and think that I accomplished something, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then when I started doing meth, I went to picking. I went to picking. And I picked fucking holes throughout my, up my face. I mean, man, I would dig with a knife holes in my leg. You mean picking your own skin? What, what yeah. was the what was the reason thinking for that? Thinking, thinking that there were bugs in, inside my skin, underneath my skin, because I could feel them. Oh wow! I could feel these things crawling under my skin, but it wasn't. It was just it was just the the hallucinating the hallucination, and and it's not even of the drug crystal meth. It's not the drug, you know. It's the lack of sleep. It's the lack of nutrition. You know what I mean? I'd go, I'd go nine, ten, eleven days awake, no sleep, dude. No sleep, living on popsicles, because that's my thing, man. That's how you know if I'm doing meth. I'm sucking on some popsicles, because I won't drink water, you know, and I'm craving sweets, you know, just, just totally destroying my body, completely destroying it. You know, and I didn't smoke meth. I, I shot it. You know, I was always the firm believer, man. Why take the stairs when you can take the elevator? Yeah. I'm spending my money on drugs. I'm going to get as high as possible I can off of it for as long as possible as I can. So people snorting and smoking made no sense to me. You know, dude, you're wasting your money, bro. Just boot it. You know what I mean? Why even fuck around? You know? Yeah, you wanted so that, that instant satisfaction. So that's how I would do it. And because of that, you know what I mean? You get to a house or something, man. You ain't got no point on you. You use somebody else's point. I caught and contracted hep C. And because I had hep C for so long, I now have cirrhosis of the liver. I have emphysema. Um, cirrhosis... And, man, what else? What other medical stuff I got? <laughs> so much stuff you forget. Yeah, it's, 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 it's bad, man. I, man, I damaged my body bad, you know? I now have an eating disorder, you know? I can only take in small amounts of food, you know? I drink more protein shakes than I, than I eat solid food because it's easier for me to take in my nutrients that way. 
at least for now because I'm because I'm trying to still build up my body, you know. So at the time, how were your relationships like while you were in active addiction? What were your relationships like as far as friends and family? Um, did you ever? They were crazy. They were crazy. Um, um, relationships with friends, man. I never had real friends. The friends that I thought were my real friends, man, they weren't my real friends. They were just using buddies, you know. And if we weren't high, we had nothing to talk about. We had nothing in common. They couldn't relate to me just like I couldn't relate to them, you know. The only thing that we did meet on common ground is that our lives sucked and we and we like to get high, you know. And take away the drugs, what do you got? Nothing. Nothing. Um, as for, like, intimate relationships, they were very... Um, Hostile, a lot of anger, um, a lot of suspicion, a lot of lies. Um, Where the um, women you dated, did they also use? Was that like something you always wanted you yep. or you looked for in a partner? Yep. And you had to get high because cause, cause that's the only way that I could cope with life was with me being high. And I'd be damned. If some, if some woman I got involved with was going to tell me that I could no longer get high, you know. But now, man, after my fiance died, though, man, I, I was, man, I was single for two years, you know, and 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 the way the relationship started out, you know, after my fiance, it didn't even start like a conventional relationship. The girl came over to get high you know, to do some math, and she just never left, you know, and I stayed with her for about eight months, and that's when I first started thinking about getting clean, because I was like, this life's disgusting, you know, I'm a critter, I don't go out during the day because I'm embarrassed now, I hide, I hide the wounds on my arms because I'm ashamed, you know, when I walk around outside, man, I walk with my head bowed. I've lost all my pride, all my dignity. Threw it all away. Threw it all away for that next high. Because I don't know how to cope. I don't know how to cope with shit. You know? And I thought that that was my answer. I thought that was my out. And and it's not, man. That's, that's no out, man. That's no out. It just makes your life worse. It makes your life worse. At first, it's great, man. It's fun. I ain't even got bullshit. I got addicted to that life, to that lifestyle, to being out, running about, always having a hustle going on, always having my hand in something, you know, and always seeking the respect and approval from the wrong people. People who are just never going to amount to anything. Who have no desire to amount to anything. You take four you take four you take four millionaires and you throw a fifth person in with them. That fifth person's gonna become a fifth millionaire. You take four drug addicts, you throw a person in with them. 
that person's going to become a drug addict. It's all on who you surround yourself with. People, places, and things. Fact. That's why I just got up and left, man. I just moved. I just moved from from where I've been my entire life. I'm 46 years old. I moved down to Georgia. I just moved down here to Georgia from Nashville, New Hampshire, just about a week and a half ago. And I don't know a single soul down here. You know, I go to work, I come home. I don't have a license. I don't have a car. You know, this guy who was gracious enough to give me a job, um... After after he heard my story at a meeting that I went to down here, um, he's picking me up every morning, dropping me off after work every day. So there, I'm blessed, you know, and I'm grateful that I that I met him, you know. And he's also in in recovery. That's one so. of my things I was going to actually ask you about was employment and uh, how you handle it high, how you handle it sober. Um. Employment high, I don't handle it. <laughs> you know, just like I, just like everything else, I don't handle. Understood. I don't handle it. Sober though, sober though, man. I'm, 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 I'm all about work, man. I'm all about sweating. You know, I love manual labor. I love breaking my back. I love knowing that I earned that dollar at the end of the day. You know, because when I go and I buy something, I appreciate it now. You know, instead of just buying it because I got all this money that I got for free from robbing somebody or doing some sort of dirt, you know, just being a, just being a piece of shit human, you know, I don't want to be that no more. I want to be something better. Um, I want people to hear my story. Um, I want them to maybe get some hope from it. Because, man, I'll tell you what, man, if I can, man, if I can get straight, if I can get off the drugs after everything that I've been through, man, and I can, man, I can have all these facts that I've told you today verified. Everything can get verified, all right? If I can get through this, I think anybody can. You know, they just got to have the right people in their corner to believe in them instead of giving up on them when it gets tough, you know? You know, I mean, you got to know and appreciate people for what they are. You know, you see a guy, he's a thief. You know he's a thief. Okay. Doesn't mean he's a bad guy. Just know he's a thief. Don't leave your money hanging around. You see a drug addict, you know he's a drug addict. Doesn't mean he's a bad guy, but a drug addict is going to do what drug addicts do. You treat them like that. You treat them accordingly. You don't put yourself inside positions of where they can take advantage of you. And you help them. You know, you ride with them. You ride through that storm. Because every person that I know who has gotten sober has flourished. Has flourished. One of my best friends, Eric Labage, he owns three, uh, I think two or three sober houses now. Right now, this was a guy who, whose name in Congress State Prison threw fear and threw fear in people's hearts. Anybody who's going to get a life sentence, it was going to be him for murder. Fact, bad dude, bad dude, turned his whole entire life around. 
And he's been in the system just like me since he was a kid. I grew up with the dude. I know him my whole life. And he's killing it out there. You know? And he's doing that because he's helping others. You know, he's giving back and not expecting anything in return. You know, and he's saving lives doing it. And that's what I want to do. Well, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. part of this podcast is to get your story out there. Hopefully someone can relate and you um, you might help them. Absolutely. So That's my hope. So one question I had was, what's the deal with your mental health? Is that something that you've had issues with as well? Or was that, you know, yeah, something? Um, I've suffered from PTSD because of my childhood trauma. Um, and, and a lot of things that I've seen, you know, I've witnessed the murder of my best friend. Um, I seen, and I seen a couple guys get stabbed. I saw one get shot. Um, so, I mean, from some of the things that I've seen, yeah, I have severe PTSD, um, a lot of anxiety. Um, I suffer from, um, social, um, I like, um, like social anxiety. Um, I have a hard time going out, meeting new people, talking to new people. Um, I start hyperventilating sometimes, <laughs> sweating. I get real nervous. Um, yeah. So I'm on meds for all that, you know, and now because of, um, the meth, the meth use, I now have schizophrenia borderline schizophrenic yeah and i take meds for that now too yeah that's um something that is of the utmost importance i think is keeping your mental health in check absolutely absolutely you know um today i take suboxone i know some people say you know it's still a drug you know um yeah, yeah, and no, though. I mean, it is, but it allows you to not have those dope dreams, to not have cravings, um, to not go out and get high and do the shitty things that you got to do to get your drug. It takes all of that out of the equation. So early in my recovery, right now, I need, I think I need Suboxone. You know, because uh, or else, man, I'd probably go right back to the dope. I'd probably go right back to the dope if it wasn't for Sebastian. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, as long as you're doing it the right way, you're talking to a doctor, somebody's helping you through the whole thing. I do. I go go to an MAT clinic. Um, I take three Mm -hmm. 8-milligram films a day, one in the morning, afternoon, and evening. And, um, I mean, when I first got on them, yeah, I mean, it got me high for like the first two days, but after that you level off and you're just normal. You're fine. You know what I mean? Um, you're just able to get through the day normal. That's good. So I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Is there, I mean, so nowadays you just got your job going and yeah baby steps man one thing at a time um my goal my goal is to get into the recovery field some way somehow um haven't really figured all that out yet but i really want to try to get into the recovery field and you know and um 
you know, and try to talk to some, you know, try to talk to some people, man, before, you know, man, before they destroy their lives, before it's too late, you know, and they just can't come back from, from the damage that they've done. Because eventually, man, you do so much damage. Eventually, you're not going to bounce back. You can only bounce back so many times, you know? Yeah, well, let's hope this is your last time for you. Looking good so far, my brother. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That's all you can do is take it one day at a time. That's it, man. Well, it's great. I think that's I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Thank you so much for telling your story, man. It's really it's an amazing story and just how strong you've been. Thank you, man. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Absolutely. So folks, if you like what you've heard here, join our Facebook group. More information is available there. You can check out us on iTunes and give us a rating. And that's all I've got for today. So until next time.